You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. I pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so we're going to be talking about evangelism. And if you are like me, Every time you hear evangelism, or if you grew up in the church, you probably cringe. And some of the things I did when I was younger, and not necessarily asked if I wanted to do, but rather um, motivated seriously to do, was uh, <clears throat> going door to door, giving tracks. Remember the little tracks? Uh, I still have a few of them laying in my house. Um, and it was really hard for me to do it. It was really hard for me to do it. I'm not uh, an outgoing, talkative person in some ways, especially when I knock on somebody's houses or somebody's home. Uh, so m maybe you experienced this. I've also experienced uh, preaching from a megaphone. Have you ever done that? If you haven't, you're blessed. Uh, it, it, it takes a lot of guts. I respect people who do that. And just engaging people everywhere. Uh, so I, I went to a Christian college, and they made us practice very intentionally. And so I've had some encounters and experiences with what we call evangelism. Uh, but I'm not sure if that's necessarily for everybody. I don't think there is a method or a way that everybody's supposed to do. I think it has to do with who you are and how God created you. Yet, we are all called to do evangelism. Um, so today I want to talk about what that is and what the Bible tells us, a few concepts that we need to be reminded of, especially from the book of Acts, which is what we're uh, learning from right now. So I would like to define evangelism before we start talking about it. And evangelism, in my definition, is loving our neighbor by sharing the gospel with them. Evangelism is loving our neighbor by sharing the gospel with them. We've seen this happen in Jesus' ministry and the apostles' ministry, and that's what I want to emphasize today. So before we jump into Acts, I have one text that I want all of us to read, and it's going to be on the screen. And it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And I want to challenge you, if you're able, to memorize this, uh, this text. And this is for the adults, not just for the kids, because I know that we expect kids to memorize Scripture. My kids have to memorize Scripture for, uh, in homeschooling, and sometimes I don't do the same, which I should. So I want to encourage the adults to memorize this, this verse. 1 Peter 2.9, and it says, for you are, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Raise your hand if you know that by memory. Nobody? Come on, guys. It's okay. All right, so let's break this down real quick. First thing is we are chosen. This is an amazing thing. That means that God chose us before he even created us. He knows us by name. He has chosen us specifically, not generally, to spend eternity with him, eternity with him. and we are loved in a very intimate way by the creator of the universe. He has chosen us. We are a chosen people. We are not only a chosen people, we're also royal priests. 
That means that we have been chosen to serve God and give our lives completely to him. In the Old Testament, priests were specific people from a specific tribe that dedicated their entire lives to serve in the temple or serve God. That no longer happens. We are all priests. And we're not just any kind of priest. We are now kingly priests. We serve the king. And we are also royal uh, lineage because we are the sons and daughters of a king. So that means that we are uh, a royal or kings and queens in a way. We will eventually reign with God forever in the new earth and the new heaven. We are not only royal priests and chosen, we are also holy people. That means that we are separated from the world. We represent the holy God. We are different from other people. We have different standards and values that are from the kingdom of God and not from society. We are also being kept and shaped to be like our perfect God and holy God. Um, and the last one is that we have been purchased. We are God's possession. We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. God sent his son to die for us, to pay for us. We were enslaved to sin. We were enslaved to Satan. We were dead in our trespasses. And God sends his son and redeems us, purchases us. And we no longer belong to Satan. We are no longer condemned. We are no longer enslaved to sin. We are now his possession. And this is all amazing. This is all beautiful. We should rejoice and enjoy all of these blessings. But there's a purpose for that. And I love this verse because it not only leaves us with the beauty of being a Christian, but it gives us a purpose for being a Christian. All of this so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights. So the purpose of you being a Christian, the purpose of you being a, a, a king, a, a daughter, or a son of a king is that you will now then go and share this with others. So we love our neighbor by sharing the gospel with them. And I want to I wanna give an example for the kids since I know they're not paying attention. I'm just kidding. They are paying attention. So I'm going to choose three people. Finn, do you, you want to come? It's a little game. It, you're going to like it, I promise. No? Come, come to the front. Um, Becca, you want to come? No? No, you guys always come. Well, Abraham, come. Any other volunteer? <laughs> I need a girl. Come on, come on. No? Ginny? All right. Well, we'll have Caleb then. Oh, Coda, you want to come? Yeah, come. All right. So this is what I'm going to do for you. You have been chosen, and I'm going to give you this. Just keep it. What is it? What is it? Coda, what is this? It's a lollipop. It's candy. I'm going to give you more because you are not only chosen, but you have been purchased by the blood of God. And not only that, you are a priest of the king. And not only that, 
Wait. You are a holy nation separated from everyone else. How do you like that? You don't know? Do you, do you like that? Yeah. Do you like that? Yeah. All right. But this is the thing. Hold on, hold on. This is not for you. This is not for you to keep. It feels good to have it, right? Right? But guess what? You know why I give you this? So you can share it with others. Wait. But this is the thing. Some people might not take your candy, especially because it's Mexican and it's spicy. <laughs> so that makes it difficult for people to swallow. So you're going to have people that will reject your gift. But guess what? You still have to give it to others, okay? So it's not just for you. It's for you to share with others, okay? What question do you have in? Sorry? I thought it was sour. I thought it was sour. Oh, you thought it was sour? Well, we'll, we'll see. All right, go do what you have to do. See how eager some people are to receive the candy of the gospel? <clears throat> All right. We can do that at the end. <clears throat> Sit down, sit down. All right. So this is exactly how evangelism looks. You can have a seat. Good job. You're good Christians. So unfortunately, some of us adults believe that being a Christian is enjoying all the candy for yourself. And we forget <clears throat> that the candy has a purpose that you have been chosen, that you have been redeemed, that you are a holy nation and a priest for God with the objective to share those blessings with others. We're not supposed to be Christians who just come to church to get more candy every Sunday. We're not supposed to be Christians that read our Bible and pray and listen to worship music to get more candy every day. We are supposed to be receiving those things so that we can pass it on to others. And my first point today is that evangelism is a command. And that's the first thing we see in Acts 1.8. The last words that Jesus gave his disciples before he ascended was, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be, you will be, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are all supposed to be witnesses of Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian in a way. It is not a suggestion. It is not optional. It is something that we are supposed to do. Being a Christian is not about believing the right things only, but it's also about the product of your belief. In reality, the way you believe is validated by the product of your belief. The works that our doctrine produces show if it's sound or if it's not sound. And today, we love talking about sound doctrine. 
But the truth is that if sound doctrine does not produce sound Christian living, which includes evangelism, it's probably not really sound doctrine. Or we're not actually doing what it's supposed to be doing. Sharing your faith with others is one of the most biblical and Christian things we must do. In the words of James, if your faith doesn't produce works, your faith is death. And evangelism is a command of every Christian. My second point is that evangelism is uncomfortable, as you already know. In Acts 5, verse 40 and 42, 40 to 42, the disciples are called, uh, they're tried, they're flogged, and then they are ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they're let go. And listen to verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they have been counted worthy of suffering disgrace in the name. Day after day, in the temple, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I highly doubt, highly doubt that this is what's going to happen to us, but we need to understand that evangelism is uncomfortable and we need to be okay with that. We need to be okay with being uncomfortable. We need to be okay with being rejected because it is how it works. If you look at Scripture, all Scripture, the biggest, the most extraordinary things that we see and read in Scripture were very uncomfortable for everybody. If you think about Moses and we read about the amazing things he did, it was very uncomfortable for him. His life was in danger. If you think about David, if you think anybody that you think of, everything they did for God required them to be uncomfortable. It required them to step out of their comfort zone. And the reason why is because when we step out of our comfort zone, we are more aware of our limitations. We are more aware of our uh, inability to do what God wants us to do. And therefore, we now rely not on us, but on God. And God takes the glory. Unfortunately, we are very used to working in our comfort zone. And our comfort zone has to do with what you know, with how you feel, and what you want to do. And that usually backfires on us, and it tends to create a life of passivity. It is not comfortable to preach the gospel or to be exposed in the name of Jesus. And this is something that happens. Sharing Jesus might bring pain to us. It might bring rejection. And sometimes, in today's day, maybe you're not flogged because you spoke about Jesus to somebody, but maybe you will have consequences at your work. Maybe you will have financial consequences. Or uh, in your school, you might get in trouble for raising your voice for Jesus. And that's okay. And that's expected. Because evangelism is uncomfortable and at, and at times very painful. Number three, success and results depend on God completely. We remember in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were just expecting that something was going to happen because Jesus left and said, you will receive the power. They were just together. And suddenly, without them doing anything, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Spirit 
and they began speaking in other tongues. It is not us. It's not because of what we know. It's because of the power of the Spirit. The results, the success do not depend on us. They do not depend on our knowledge or our holiness. It's all about Jesus. In fact, the person that we can attribute the first 3,000 converts is Peter. And he literally denied Jesus days before this. And God used a coward who denied the master to preach the first Christian message. And 3,000 or more people became believers. That should give us hope that even though we are not what we're supposed to do, God can transform somebody's life. Because the success and the result of evangelism completely depend on God and not on our ability. The last thing I want to say is that our evangelism is only about the gospel. We have no other message. Our message is not that God is going to do everything that people want. Our message is not about this mystic religion that just creates a new person in some imaginary way or weird traditions or days or foods that we eat or celebrations we have. This is not our message. Our message is the gospel. Acts 2, verse 22 and 24. Peter preaches and he talks about the life of Jesus how he died, how he lived, how he, how he de- died, how Jesus was raised up on the third day. And that is our message. And I want to give you a brief breakdown about the gospel and some of the elemental elements. How, how can I say it in a different way? The fundamental elements of Southtown. I just remembered a POD album that I love. <clears throat> Anyway, number one, we are all sinners. We need to tell people they are sinners. We are all condemned by our actions. There is no way we can earn our own salvation. That's one of the first things you need to tell people. The second thing is that that's the reason why Jesus has to come. Because he substitutes us in everything we needed to do. He lived the perfect life we needed to live. He was beaten. He paid the price of our sin. He died on a cross for our sin. Caleb, stop now. Sit down. Sit down in your own chair. Thank you. Sorry about that. Uh, Jesus rose again from the grave in our place. He defeated sin and death, and that's what we call grace, that we didn't have to do it, that Jesus did it for us. That is the essence of our message. And our message says that because of these things, we now have forgiveness of sins, just like Peter said, and we have free access to heaven by grace. But there's something that our message requires, and as Christians, we need to get to this point. It's not enough that we tell people that they are sinners and that Jesus died for them. We also need to let people know that our message requires a response. People need to make a decision and respond to the gospel. Peter called people and said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. 
Our message, the gospel, requires a response. People need to repent from their sins. They must believe in Jesus and they must surrender their lives to him as a way to turn to God. We also need to remember this is a process. It, not, it doesn't always happen at once. We can, we can tell people about their sin for a long time, and then we eventually get to, to how Jesus substituted them, and then we eventually get to the response all at different times. Sometimes it happens all at once, but we don't need to rush it because it's not up to us. And I just want to finish with a few applications for us and a reminder. The reminder is that in our city, in Bristol, in Manassas Park, in Manassas, all around this area, there are hundreds of thousands of people who need Jesus desperately. We are agents of the gospel wherever we live. We have been placed here in 2023 at this time in this city for a reason. It is not an accident that you live where you live, that you shop where you shop, that you work where you work, that you worship where you worship. There is a purpose for all of that, and that is that we should announce, proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. How can we improve our evangelism? This is something that most Christians struggle with, and I want to give you a few, a few, uh, a few uh, recommendations. Uh, by the way, I'm going to send an email this week with a folder of uh, some practical resources for all of us. But I want to I give you six. I should have done seven because that's the Christian way to do it. But I only had six. <clears throat> um, so the first one is pray. Pray a lot for God to help you and give you boldness. We need it desperately. Number two, pray for the people that you have in mind or want to share the gospel with. We need to understand that their lives are, are, are at stake and they desperately need Jesus. Second, begin with demonstration. If you struggle with proclaiming verbally the gospel to people, you can start with doing something for that person. Meet someone's need. Commit to helping them. Genuinely find ways to be interested in them. Do something nice for the person you're planning to share the gospel with. Sacrifice time and resources on others. Get to know their story. Get to know the person. But you need to get to proclamation. We do not believe, even though that's a popular Christian saying, that preach the gospel, and if you need uh, use words, we do not believe that's biblical. In fact, it is not biblical. You, get, you need to get to the words. You need to get to the proclamation. You need to say the gospel to the person. And in some of the practical ways we can do that is by memorizing or studying basic elements of the gospel. In the folder I'm going to send, there's going to be some of that. You can even create a script or choose a method of evangelism. I, I just learned that uh, Robert is uh, really good at evangelism explosion. There's many different options that you can use and different methods. There's not one fits all kind of way or way to evangelize. And also practice sharing your gospel with maybe other believers, your spouse, a friend, a coworker, somebody that you know it's a believer. Practice sharing the gospel with that person. 
Number four, be bold and trust Jesus. When the time comes, and I believe the time will come, trust Jesus. The results are not yours. I want to encourage you to find ways to turn the conversation to spiritual matters. Genuinely ask questions about their life, beliefs, and opinions. Listen to the other person. Understand what they're saying. And please do not take an attitude of debating. debating. You are not going to convince anyone of the gospel. In fact, the Bible itself says that it is foolishness for them. So you're not going to convince them by your logic and apologetics training. It's going to be God who does it, even if he uses that method. Share the message of the gospel with conviction. Five, expect to be amazing, amazed and pleasantly surprised. We mostly have a negative opinion or a negative perspective, right? And we believe that God is going to just let us down and nobody's going to become a Christian, but that's not true. God is more interested and God loves the people that we're talking to even more than we can imagine. And my last one, be patient and continue to pray even if you are rejected. Be patient. Do not give up if it doesn't turn out your way or the way you want it. God wants you to share your candy, and if somebody rejects your candy, find someone else to give them your candy. And if you want more candy, I have more candy here. Thank you, and um, let's pray that God will encourages us, encourage us to be Bolder in evangelizing and talking to other people about Jesus. Dear God, <clears throat> you have placed us in this place for a reason, and I ask today that all of us, and even the ones who are not here, would be emboldened by your spirit to share the good news of the gospel through our demonstration and our proclamation to the people around us. Help us love our neighbor by sharing you with them. I pray that you would give us a supernatural ability, that you would move us to train and to be affirmed and to be um, challenged uh, to, to do this better as a church, as individuals. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So we're going to take a time for communion now. I just want to encourage you all to really reflect on what communion is for us. It's an acknowledgement of what happened, and it's a looking forward to what is yet to come. We, we acknowledge the Christ's death on the cross, what that means for us, and, and we look forward to one day Christ returning. And, and as we take communion, we proclaim that this is what we believe. This is, this is who we are, and this is who Jesus is, and this is what he's done for us. And we, we look forward with excitement to, to his return and fellowship with him in person. Um, if, if you're not a Christian and you don't believe that, we'd ask that you, you don't join us in communion. Um, and yeah, I, I would encourage you all to come forward as you're ready to, to take partake.
And now for the benediction, which is not a prayer. I'd ask you to place your hands and your face in a posture of receptivity. Um, and as we go this week, let's, let's remember that we have been given much. Even if we don't think we have a lot physically or, or financially, we have been given what truly values. We have been given some things of eternal value. So I'll, I'll read again from 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Go in peace with this light.